0: Hello and welcome. As part of our global bank review, we discussed the tricky tightrope banks have to walk if they want to, on the one hand, broaden their appeal to a new generation of customers, whilst, on the other hand, also comply with the increased regulatory expectations around customer protection. It's a combination that requires careful handling. In this podcast, we will focus in on the second of these topics, viewed through the lens of cyber hacks and scams. My name is Hannah Cassidy and I'm a partner based in Hong Kong focusing on financial services regulation. I'm delighted to be joined by Charlotte Henry in Australia and Marina Reason in London.
1: Charlotte. Thanks Hannah. Um, Hi everyone, I'm Charlotte Henry, a regulatory partner here in Australia focusing on the bank sector. Marina.
2: Thanks, Charlotte. Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Marina Reason and I'm a partner in the London Financial Services practice specialising in regulation uh, and my focus is on wholesale and retail banks. Great. So let's
0: dive right in. Cyber hacks and scams have been prevalent for many years as a result of the increased use of digital channels. They have further accelerated in the last three years due to the pandemic. Charlotte, can you tell us a bit more about what types of hacks and scams we are seeing and how the banks are dealing with those? Sure
1: thing, so examples we're seeing uh, include payment redirection scams, so being directed to pay money to someone who the intended participant was not meant to be. Romance scams, so people paying thinking, a person thinking they're in a relationship with them. Ramp and dump schemes, uh, which speak for themselves, COVID relief fraud Uh, and finally spoofing scams have been another one that has popped up which is people impersonating banks Uh, and so banks are often unwitting facilitators of these scams they are affecting the transfer of funds from victims to scammers and they continue to face increasing exposure to regulatory sanctions as well as litigation from customers So some victims have relied on creative causes of action and have had some success expanding the scope of duties owed by banks to date. But to date, the courts have generally seemed cautious about imposing duties on banks beyond the relevant contractual mandate. As victims seek to expand the scope of duties owed by the banks, including an implied duty to exercise reasonable care and skill in executing the customer's transaction orders, Banks have found themselves treading carefully to prevent customers being scammed while not impinging on the customer's right to access their funds on demand and deal legally with those funds as they see fit.
0: Are there differences per jurisdiction?
1: In some jurisdictions, victims are also able to pursue non-judicial recovery. Um, So, for instance, we have AFCA here, which is the Australian equivalent to the FOS. And AFCA can issue decisions that are binding on financial firms for refusing to compensate customers victimised by investment scams. Um, These avenues can hold greater prospects as the outcome uh, decided by the Ombudsman may not simply turn on the strict legal position, but more general notions of things like fairness. However, in recent times, we've found that even AFCA has generally ruled in favour of the bank in two scenarios, either on the scenario that the transaction was authorised by the customer and the bank wasn't on notice of any fraud, or the transaction was unauthorised, but the customer had acted carelessly, e.g. in disclosing their passcode. What's the key question that should be addressed? So the fundamental question that arises is how the balance should be struck between banks and victims of scams. So if customers also have some responsibility to protect their own interests and to take precautions to avoid scams, um, then there should be qualifications on bank liability, we think. For instance, banks should not be required to effectively become underwriters or insurers to victims of scams. In addition, you know, to what extent should banks be expected to educate and provide warnings to their customers? When is there this kind of implied duty of care?
0: That's really interesting. Thanks. Marina, how are we seeing the UK regulators approach this and ensure there is a good balance between bank responsibility and customer protection?
2: Sure. Thanks, Hannah. So the FCA is um, focusing on how tech solutions can prevent fraud in real time. For example, testing how financial services and other sectors can share data and how to spot fraud at source. Um, The FCA has also instructed firms to consider whether they are doing enough to raise customer awareness of crimes, such as authorised um, push payment fraud, pension scams, and so uh, called ghost-broking, where fraudsters po- pose as a middleman for insurance firms. The FCA expects firms to assess evolving risks, uh, such as the cost of living crisis, and then recalibrate um, their financial controls, uh, financial crime controls uh, accordingly. Um, the financial promotion regime in the UK is also being tightened in a bid to prevent misleading advertisements and, scam, uh, and scams. So the FCA has also ramped up its review of financial promotions to stop um, such scams. fraud. There's been
0: much talk about the financial sector marketing bill. What can you say about it?
2: The Financial Services and Markets Bill, which is being expected to be passed in the UK in the next few weeks, uh, will facilitate a scheme for mandatory reimbursement of victims for authorised push payment fraud. Um, The Payment Services Regulation is also currently consulting um, on an app reimbursement. So reimbursements should be made where the victims of consumers, micro-enterprises and charities where the payment orders in question were executed subsequent to fraud or dishonesty over the Faster payment system, and this will account for the vast majority of fraudulent payments. And the final criteria is that there will be exceptions where victims were involved in a fraud or acted with gross negligence. So the cost of the scheme will be shared between uh, paying and receiving providers, and the intention behind this is to incentivise development of fraud detection and prevention arrangements, and the scheme is expected to go live during 2024.
0: We're seeing regulators in Asia taking a very similar approach, and cybersecurity has been a real focal point for a number of years. The Monetary Authority of Singapore, (MAS) is tackling this issue head-on and is preparing a framework for equitable sharing of losses arising from scams. A consultation was originally targeted for launch in mid-2022, but it has taken longer than expected to finalise the proposals. MES has indicated the framework will recognise that all parties have responsibilities to take precautions against scams. The proportion of losses each party bears will depend on whether and how the party has fallen short of its obligations. The MAS has also published technology risk management guidelines, and these were last updated in January 21. They focus on addressing technology and cyber risks. The guidelines reinforce the importance of incorporating security controls as part of an FI's technology development and delivery lifecycle, as well as in the deployment of emerging technologies. And in Hong Kong, the financial regulators have been focusing on cybersecurity for a number of years now. The Securities and Futures Commission has published guidance and circulars on a variety of topics, including cybersecurity resiliency, ransomware attacks, hacking risks, business email compromise, and ramp and dump scams. It's also been conducting multiple investigations, including joint investigations with the police and the ICAC on suspected ramp-and-dump scams in the last two years. Cybersecurity is also a recurrent theme in the Hong Kong Monetary Authority's work. The HKMA has in place a cybersecurity fortification initiative that was launched back in 2016 and was updated in late 2020. The CFI comprises a cyber resilience assessment framework professional development program and cyber intelligence sharing platform. The HKMA supervisory policy manual module TME1 looks at risk management of e-banking and sets out the bank's obligations in relation to customer security, as well as customer awareness and education around security measures. And in May 2022, the HKMA published a new module on operational resilience, OR2. And that specifies the MA's overall approach to operational resilience, including cybersecurity. Are there any expectations? Now, the HKMA expects that banks should have developed their operational resilience framework and determine the timeline by which they will become operationally resilient by 31st of May 2023 and become operationally resilient no later than 31st of May, 2026. Charlotte, are we seeing the Australian regulators tackling this in the same way as the UK? Um, or Are there any sort of different views that we should be taking note of?
1: Yeah, thanks Hannah. So we've had different regulators say different things. So first of all, The committee that looks after our banking code of practice, the BCCC, they've encouraged banks to ensure that their systems and processes are robust enough to protect customers and lenders from scammers and other criminal activity, including confirming that employees are aware of current fraud and scam issues. Our competition regulator, the ACCC, they communicated with financial firms about their roles in preventing scams. Uh, They're also advocating for financial institutions to introduce confirmation of payee to reduce the risk of scams and there's also been some advocates for Australia to introduce um, something similar to the UK's contingent reimbursement code, Uh, although to date that doesn't seem to have the support of the current Australian government. Uh, We also know that ASIC's been engaging directly with a number of banks in relation to their scam detection and prevention activities. Um, We expect them to become much more active in this space, including requiring firms to do more to prevent scams as part of their general duties to provide financial services efficiently, honestly and fairly, and also to provide them with due skill care and diligence. We're also aware that trade associations like our Australian Banking Association are involved in discussions with their members directed towards seeking to agree best practice measures in this space. Uh, And then finally, um, as part of its enforcement priorities for 2023, um, ASIC has noted that one of its key focuses will be on protecting Australian consumers and disrupting investment scams and high-risk investment products, including crypto assets, which I know we're going to come to talk about in a second. Great.
0: So the debate around liability in relation to scams and the sharing of liability between customers and banks is far from settled. But one thing is clear, the regulatory trend is towards rising expectations on banks, spanning customer education, internal policies and processes, and warnings that should be provided when a possible scam is detected. It's clear that these issues are complex and can be tricky to navigate. Thank you to charlotte and marina for joining me today and for their very interesting insights we'd encourage you to get in touch with any of us to discuss any of these matters further if you are interested in learning more about the other key issues facing our bank clients you can find a link in the podcast to a number of hsf resources including our flagship campaign the global bank review Please do look out for the other podcasts in our Global Bank Review series available on iTunes, SoundCloud and all good podcast platforms. Thanks for listening and bye for now.